we in Genesis today? We're back there. In other books, I've always told you how to get there. I haven't been telling you this one because it's just the beginning. Go to the first book and you find it. It's Genesis right there. <clears throat> so last week we, uh, we looked on helplessly, really, as Eve considered the deceptive words of Satan in the form of the serpent. Um, as, as Eve is facing temptation, right, and, and Adam's standing by, nearby, right, and, and he's silently wrestling with that same temptation. Um, and, and so that's kind of where we were. Now, now, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, you know, sharp turn here. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was this, this German pastor uh, during World War II. Uh, unfortunately, he was murdered just about five months before the war came to an end. Uh, however, seven years before that, he wrote this very short book. If you don't like to read long books, this is perfect. Just 48 pages. Um, so just imagine it's 100. You read half the book and you're, you're all the way there. Uh, anyway, it was titled, entitled simply and about the, the topic of temptation. And I, I'm going to read to you just a short paragraph from that work as he describes uh, the way that desire can overpower what we know to be right, right? Uh, as, as we saw it, even, you know, just last week with Adam and Eve, you know, they saw this desire and somehow, you know, they, they ended up going through with it. Now, I, I do want to warn you before I read this because we're going to misunderstand this if we're not careful. Bonhoeffer refers to the pool of desire as irresistible. And you and I understand that meaning, like, there's nothing I can do. It's, it's impossible. And so you just need to know that he means that's how it feels at the moment, right? Not, not really, not reality, not for, for Christians, not, not for those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So, so just understand that. Now, with all that qualification, here's what he says. He says, with irresistible power, desire seizes, mas seizes mastery over the flesh, it makes no difference whether it is sexual desire, or ambition, or vanity, or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us, and we seek all our joy in the creation. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creation is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And when he talks about the forgetfulness of God, it's not like Dory in Finding Nebo, right, where she just truly knows nothing. He's, he's talking more in the sense of this, this apathy, this, this realness, kind of in the, in the sense that, that you forgot about that kid that sat behind you in algebra in high school, right? You, you considered him a friend at the time, and, and now you're, you're not really sure if he's even still alive or, or if it's real or anything, right? Just kind of out of your mind for all these years. And so, anyway, Adam and Eve forgot about God's generosity. They have forgotten about God's goodness to them. And they begin to doubt the character of God, his good character, right, his motives. And, and so, when they didn't understand then why, why this command, it doesn't make sense to me, that kind of thing, you know, not to eat of this tree uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they decide uh, to do what seemed better to themselves in this moment, now, if you're like me, every time you hear this story of the fall, it's a little like watching um, a, a scary movie where you just kind of sit powerlessly and wish you could control the person on the other side, right? Eve, don't listen to that snake. He's lying, Eve. Don't listen to him. Don't go in there. Don't you, don't you dare take that fruit and eat of that tree, and you're just watching it all happen, and you wish you could stop it, and you can't. And of course, she does. She did. Um... And if you've lived in this world long enough, you've probably experienced temptation in the same way that we see Adam and Eve experience it last week. 
You, you've not understood God's reasons why these are good things. You, you've, you've doubted God's commands were, were for your good. That you, you, you have this, this, God feels like this vagueness, right? Not a, not a genuine realness right there, actively in, involved in the world and your life, but this vagueness. And, uh, and, and you felt that seemingly irresistible pull of desire. And in one way or another, you, you, have, you have reached out, taken hold of the forbidden fruit, and taken a bite yourself. And so that's where we're at. That's where we're at in the story here, right? Their bellies are filled with the forbidden fruit. And, and, and this morning, we, we're going to see two ways they and you and I still today respond to sin and guilt in our lives. We're, we're also going to see that uh, while they have mostly forgotten God, God has not forgotten them in the least. So that's, that's the intro that doesn't correspond to the length of the sermon, I promise. Um, Genesis 3, we're going to begin in verse 8, and uh, just read the 13 today. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave, me, gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is true. I pray at this point because I was taught to pray before the preaching of your word. It is now a habit in my life, but I also pray here and now, Lord, because I need your help to speak in a way that your people will understand, to speak humbly, to speak boldly from your word. I also pray now, because we all need your help, your blessing, if, if we are to pay attention and to hear your word. Yes, but, but even more so, Lord, if we are to be, as, as James instructs us, not, not hearers only, but to be doers of your word. In other words, Lord, give me the grace to be Give us all the grace to be genuinely molded by your precious word this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So after sinning, the first way that Adam and Eve feel the effects of their sin is, is, is in relationship to themselves. Right? Aware of their nakedness, suddenly they are feeling ashamed. Suddenly they rush to cover their nakedness with fig, fig leaves, which are really big leaves in case you're wondering. Uh, now, the next way that they feel the effects uh, of, of their sin is, is in relationship with God. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, we're told that it's the cool of the day, right? In, in, in the Hebrew, it's literally, it's the wind of the day, it, meaning it's evening time. The breeze is, is blowing. It's when all the temperature from the day begins to come down. It's so we can understand how this has all happened on one day, and, and now we're near the end of it. And, and they hear the, the sound of God walking in the garden. Now, this is a sound that would have been incredibly familiar to them. Any of you have lived in a house that's, you know, got particularly the wood floors of some sort, such, you know, you can hear the sound. It's familiar to you. You know what it sounds like for someone to be walking across your house. We actually had one roommate that was always walked on his heels, and you could hear him from like two houses down. But, 
that's beyond the point. This is a, a familiar thing to them, but suddenly, right, this is a scary thing to them. And, and, and you wonder here, I know one of the theological questions is, is God in human form here? Right? Is that what's going on? Is God a spirit in human form here? Or, or is this anthropomorphic? Is it, is it just using human terms so that you and I understand it in, uh, as humans? Right? And, and the answer is, I don't, I don't know. It's not real clear here. Uh, I could take some guesses, but that's all it would be. Uh, and that means this is the kind of thing that remains a mystery for us. What we know is certain here is that the Lord is, is coming through the garden, walking through the garden. And they hear him. And maybe the sound of God approaching them in the past filled them in with great joy. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, God, you're walking in the garden. We get to converse again. But now, now they feel their guilt. They feel their shame. And, and so in panic, they rush behind some trees in the hopes of hiding from God. And, and, and did you notice, right? You notice that we have, we're returning here to using God's covenant name. Not just God, like that conversation between the serpent and Eve at, before, right? But now it's his covenant name, the Lord God, Yahweh uh, Elohim. And, and it's not just shame and guilt that has them hiding from God in this moment. It's certainly that, but not just that. Because remember, they have believed Satan lies about who God is, what his motives are, the way he's going to relate to them. And, and they've been believing that. They've been questioning, is God who he says he is? Is, is he good? Is he for us, right? They, and so at this point, they're, they're feeling God's against them. They, they feel like God must be coming to do the worst to them. They, they feel something along the lines of like, uh, there, there's no way God loves me especially now that I have sinned against the Lord in this awful way. And so they attempt to hide themselves. They attempt to hide themselves from the omniscient, right? From God who knows everything. They attempt to hide themselves. Now, 21 Pilots is a, a Christian band. Caleb apparently likes them. He's surprised they were in here. Anyway, uh, you're not going to find them on Caleb, right? They're not a Christian band, but, but their music is marinated in biblical themes. Uh, the lead singer of the band professes faith in the Lord, and his music, honestly, is, is it's a bit like peeking into the journal of someone who at times is incredibly comforted by the grace of God, and at other times is really struggling to believe what he professes in that regard. And, and so that's, that's what it is. Now, at the end of every single concert that they, they do, they end with this song called Trees, and, and a few of the lines are, are in your, your reflection quote today. Now, <clears throat> the, the song is this lead singer, Tyler Joseph, and he's singing, and it begins singing from God's perspective, right? As, as if he's God when he sings, and he says this, he says, I know where you stand silent in the trees. That omniscience going on, right? And, and then later in the song, he sings from Adam and Eve's perspective as they are crouched, being as quiet as possible, hoping, you know, that God's not going to find them. And there he sings, silent in the trees, standing cowardly. I can feel your breath. I can feel my death. And, and in this line, he just <clears throat> captures that anxious fear, right? That, 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 that knowing that, that he, Adam, right, has ruined everything. Knowing, right, and, and just sitting there expecting, what, what can I expect from God but the absolute wrath of God to be poured out on me at this point? And so he is hiding from God, terrified, in shame, and, 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 and that's where he's at. And it seems... Uh, you know, you and I, we think about this hiding and it looks silly to us, right? It's a little bit like, have you ever played hide and seek with like a three or four year old? And inevitably at some point they get behind the curtain and, and they're hiding but half their legs are sticking out and you have to pretend like you don't see them. That's kind of what's, what's going on here, right? You, because you, you, you cannot hide from the omniscient. You cannot hide from God. 
Not, not even your thoughts can be hidden from, from, from God, right? The psalmist writes in Psalm 139 too, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And that can be both a, a wonderful comfort or a terrifying thing to think that God can read your thoughts at any given moment. And, and, and yet here, right, sin and shame have, have sparked this desperate delusion that we can, we can hide from God, that somehow we can be where God is not. Every so often I, I, I talk with a guy who suddenly stopped participating in the life of the church only to learn he's, he's over his head in some habitual sin, usually sexual sin of some sort. He's, he's lost his appetite for God's word. He avoids fellowship uh, because there's this fear of being found out. If I get deep with people, if I have conversations, things are going to come out about me and I'd rather you just imagine everything's great. And, and, and so he's been hiding from God fearing the sense of shame he already feels, right? You know, he, this fear, right? If I start showing up at these things, uh, if I walked in there to worship God, I would just swallow me up in guilt. And I, I expect a, a number of you know that feeling in your life, maybe not for sexual sin, but that fear of being found out in one way or another. Listen, Christian, you cannot hide from God. You cannot hide from God. And as his beloved child, no one is more for you than your heavenly father. It makes no sense to even try. Right? You, you, <clears throat> I just encourage you, right? You push against that, that after the fall desire to hide from God and instead walk to towards him. And, and no, right? This covenant family is a safe place to be known. You look around this place, everyone, you think, oh, they have it all together, and I don't. That's what everyone thinks. You'd be shocked how many people think they're the only person that doesn't have it all together, right? It, it, it's a congregation of sinners that are seeking to grow in grace, seeking to grow in godliness, but not people that have all that together. Um, and so then Adam and Eve here, they're terrified, they're hiding. Look at verse 9 here. The, the, the scriptures are filled with sentences that believe like this, and people joke about these kind of things. Uh, the, these passages, right, the beautiful butts of the Bible, they're called. Uh, I've always thought it'd be fun to preach a whole series on these beautiful butts. Uh, anyway, the, here's, here's the first one in all the scriptures. You see it, verse 9, but the Lord God. Um, and, and it's always these awesome things, but God, and then he does something awesome in these. So, um, so they're hiding, um, but the Lord he is seeking them out. He doesn't just let them hide, doesn't let them stay this. And it's got to be this way, right? It's got to be that the Lord seeks us out. Because as Romans 3.11 says, right, no one seeks for God, but God seeks for his own. And, and, and notice, right, that I, I find this interesting. God doesn't say, you know, Adam, middle name, last name, whatever that is, right, get your sorry excuse for a man out here or something like that. And, and parents, this is a really good model for our, our parenting because Adam knows his guilt here. Right? Not, not contritely yet, not in the way that he needs to know it ultimately, but, but he knows he's guilty. That's why he's hiding to begin with. He, he, he knows it, and God comes to him with his merciful tone. He, he comes like the prodigal father. God's, God's going to walk them both through this in, in an undeservedly gracious way, and by both I mean Adam and Eve here. Now, instead of driving Adam out of hi hiding, God is drawing Adam out of hiding. And he does so only with questions. It's interesting. Uh, four simple questions here. And God already knows the answer to all four questions. God's not asking to gain information. This is not an investigation. Oh, what happened here? You know, uh, he's not unknowing here. The, the Lord is asking these questions to give them the opportunity to confess, the opportunity to repent, right? God is leading them to a place of restoration, not greater shame. 
Now, they're not going to do a great job of getting there. We'll see in a minute, right? But that's where the Lord is leading them. And again, parents, one of the best ways you can model for your children, or really anyone, a sense of who God is, is by how you approach them after they have messed up, right? After they feel the weight of their sin that they have committed, the way that you actually address someone. And so God's first question here is, where are you? In the heart of this question, right, God's, again, with the kid behind the curtain, God's not like, oh, where have you gone, Adam, right? He knows what's going on. And so the heart of this question here is, why are you hiding from me behind those trees? Why? Well, we'll get to his answer in a moment. But first, Adam and Eve are both hiding in shame. But let's, let's it's worth saying here, Adam is more culpable. Adam, Adam carries a greater sense of, of blame, of responsibility here. First, first, because he's the one who actually was given the prohibition uh, before Eve was even created. Secondly, Adam was supposed to guard and protect, and he was present the whole time, and he did nothing, no guarding, no protecting. Third, uh, Scripture tells us Adam was not deceived when he ate the fruit, uh, which tells us what he does is pure rebellion against God. And of course, Adam is the federal head of humanity, right? Remember the fantasy football thing last week? He represents us all. What he does is counted to you and I. And, and, and remember also, right, last week in our English, when we got to that word you, and this is always happening in our English Bibles, it's one of the, unless you're Southern English, right, it's one of the just weaknesses in our language in general, right? But when we got to the you there, we, we saw that the serpent addressed both Adam and Eve, that you was actually this uh, plural, right, grammatical equivalent of you guys. Uh, well, well, verse 9 here is also helpful for us to understand the situation here because when we read that God called to the man and then the question is, where are you? You here this time is singular. It's not plural like you might think. There's two of them hiding back there and yet he's speaking specifically to Adam. Uh, God's going to address Eve uh, right after this, but Adam uh, as a husband and as our federal head is held primarily accountable then. Now, now then, in verse 10, Adam pokes his head out, or, you know, somehow comes out, and, and he could have just spilled his guts at this moment. In fact, that, that would have been the best thing here, right? If he just confessed, Lord, Lord God, I have messed up so bad. I have disobeyed you. I have eaten the fruit. I don't know what to do, right? That's the situation I'm in. That's what he could have said, you know, but like you and I, Adam doesn't want to talk about his sin, and so he, he doesn't admit to anything at all. It, it's almost like internally he's thinking, you know, Maybe God didn't notice this. Maybe, maybe we'll get away with this. We'll just all pretend like nothing and see if we can go on like nothing happened here. And, and, and so Adam says, right, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. As if that makes any sense, right? Like I was getting out of the shower. I heard someone in the house. I thought, oh, I'm naked. I should hide. Right? That's not what's going on here. And so, so, so God here we see is so incredibly patient with his creatures, Still leading Adam to confess his guilt. In verse 11, the Lord asks two more questions, each of them just a little bit more pressing about the situation. First, first question is this, who told you that you were naked? And Adam doesn't answer that question, but, but surely internally he considered the question and realized, you know, nobody. I just know that I'm naked now. That's weird, right? And, and, and then more to the point, God asks, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God has teed it up for him. Here it is. All you have to do is say yes at this moment. This is the moment for him to confess, to speak the truth, to say, yeah, I have. And it's awful. I've messed it all up. I have. Or just simply yes. And instead, with, with no place left to hide, Adam blames the woman and ultimately God when he says this. He says, you see his response there? The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate now, aren't those 
words that he talks about his wife here, aren't they quite different from the last time we heard him speak about Eve? Right after the Lord had created Eve, if you've got your Bibles open, you can see it in Genesis 2.23, right? Adam, with hearts in his eyes, he composes the first love poem saying, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? In other words, thank you so much that you have made one like me walk with me, to, to be my helper, right? And, and Adam here is blaming Eve, Eve here, right? This is, this is a testament to his newly wicked heart that he's going to speak about her in this way. It, it's obvious also, right, that there is now quite a bit of enmity between the husband and the wife in this moment. They are not getting along well. And, and Adam doesn't just blame Eve, does he? He blames God for giving him Eve. God, you're the one who gave me this woman to be my helper, Well, she hasn't been much of a helper now, has she? She gave me the fruit. It's her fault. It's your fault. That's kind of the the heart of what's going on here. You you, you ever been in in God's shoes in this moment here where where you've done something incredibly kind, generous, whatever it might be for someone, and and only for them to come back and and blame you for whatever situation they actually caused? All right, I think it was Back to the Future when, when Biff Tannen Tanner? Tannen. I should know this. Anyway, he, he, right, he wrecks the car and he's all mad that, that, that uh, I don't know, McFly lends him his car and he's all mad. You didn't tell me there's a blind spot in this car. How dare you? You could have killed me. All this, all this kind of thing. We do that all the time where we turn around and take someone's generosity. Um, <clears throat> that's what's going on here. Now, it is, it is quite common today to blame God for our sin even in, in other ways. You, you ever heard something along the lines of God made me this way? Right, so what, what could I do? It's just the way God made me. You know, as, as Kent Hughes puts it, we say, it, it, it's my God-given hormones, my passions, my appetites, my exquisite taste, my intelligence, my proclivities, my insecurities, my experience, my energy. These leave me subject to sins that, are, that barely tempt other people. And God made me this way, so really it's his fault. It's, it's, it's true, right? There's a, there's a part of that we understand. It's true the temptation towards a particular sin is going to have a stronger pull on, on maybe you than it does somebody else. I'll, I'll give you an illustration, not because it's necessarily a sin, but because it's easier to talk this way, right? You could put a plate of cookie bars in front of me, and I'd have zero temptation to eat them. You could just pile them up to the ceiling, and I wouldn't take a single bite of the cookie bar because I don't, they, they have no desire to eat a cookie bar at all. But if you put chips and salsa in my face, now there's a temptation there, right? Now you better get another set of those or I'm going to eat them all and you're not going to get any, right? That's a real temptation. Now, you know, that's how I made right? in, in that sense. You could say that. That's fair, right? That's kind of my natural uh, desire. But, but if those chips now, right, if they are something sinful, something like practicing homosexuality, something like practicing heterosexuality outside of marriage, like greed, like complaining, or pride, or like angry rage, or lying, or any other sin, right, anything else at all, that is not an excuse to sin just because there's a stronger temptation towards it. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, right, we read this. Paul's writing, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Are some easy? Yeah. And some hard? Absolutely. But there's always a way of escape. There's always a way to resist. There's always, there's always success to be had there. Now, 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 Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a reality when you come to faith. In his power, you, you can resist even the strongest desire for a particular sin. I'm not saying you'll be sinless, but I'm saying you can't just give up and be like, it's just the way I am. You can't do that. Now, now in verse 13, 
God actually indulges Adam's accusation of Eve. And it's a little weird, because you kind of, like, if you're parenting here, you'd be like, don't you blame her. You know, you'd go back on this. And yet here's God's like, let's see what Eve has to say. You know, and, and so he asks her this question. What, what is this that you have done? And now it's her opportunity to confess, Lord, Lord God, I disobeyed. I ate the fruit that you forbid. That's what I did. But, but she doesn't confess, does she? Not really. Instead, the, the blame game continues. As, as she responds, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Right? The, the husband blamed the wife. The, he blamed God. Uh, the wife blames the devil. Right? No one is taking any responsibility. And in today's language, uh, Adam and Eve are embracing this concept of, of victimhood. And I know it's a broad idea, but at its most basic idea, right? How I made, or the people around me, or the circumstances that I'm in right now, these, this has made it impossible for me to, to obey. I just had to do whatever it was. Now, right, I'm just a victim, and, and the assumption then is, is that really I'm innocent despite of my sin. Did, 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 did Eve's eating the forbidden fruit play a part in, in Adam's sin and handing it to him? Yeah, of course it played a part in it, right? Did, did the serpent's lies play a part in Eve's sin? Certainly it did. But, but the sin of Adam and the sin of Eve is 100% theirs to own. It's their sin. Now, unfortunately, you and I are, are quite similar to Eve. We, at some point in our life, if you haven't yet, you're going to blame your parents, right? We blame our spouse. We blame our kids. We blame our siblings for a lot. Uh, we blame our, our boss, our teachers, our friends, our coworkers, our classmates. We blame stress. That's why, right? Stress. We blame our disappointments in life. Uh, uh, we blame being tired, being hungry. We blame that someone hurt my feelings. You know, sometimes we blame God for placing us in situations that we feel are just too impossible to handle. Surely he knows I could not resist this temptation. James 1.13 addresses this. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, here's your explanation, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And yet how easy it is for us to, to, to excuse our own sin, just, just blaming everyone and everything besides ourselves. It's very common, and I know you know that. You, you've probably done that for probably more than once in your life, probably in the last week in some regard. Now, you know, here's the thing, though. You can do that all you want. You can come up with all these excuses, but God knows the truth. In, in the verses of head, uh, ahead, we're, we're going to see that he holds Adam, he holds Eve, he holds the serpent. He holds them all responsible for their own actions, their own sin, what has gone on here. And listen, it, it is true, right? Crummy parents make things more difficult, yes. But that's not an excuse for us to just sin. But being tired will weaken your self-control. Yeah, it absolutely will. But, but being tired does not make it okay for you to sin. You can't be like, why would you kill him? I was just tired, you know? And, and, you, and it makes like ridiculous when you put it at that level. But how many other smaller sins, the way you treat someone and go off on someone when you're tired, right? And you're like, well, it's just, I was tired. Uh, that's not a reason. And so that kind of explains the passage before us. What do we, what do we learn today? What do we learn from this? We, we've learned that after we sin, like Adam and Eve, we have a tendency to hide from God. We do. We want to run from him. We, we, we want to run from, from his people. Some, some of you might even be feeling that this morning. I'm glad you're here if that's the case. This is where you need to be. But, you know, some, some sin, right? Maybe some habitual sin you're, you're trying to keep hidden, though. Or, or maybe, maybe that sin's been exposed, and now you, you feel the weight of it. You feel dirty. You feel shame. You feel embarrassed, and you just want to hide We've also seen that, like Adam and Eve, our, our hearts are our factories, right? Churning out endless assortment of excuses and people to blame. Again, I was, I was just lonely. 
My wife wasn't paying any attention to me. Everyone cheated on the exam. Why shouldn't I? I, I should have been paid more to begin with. My, my husband hasn't loved me well. He, he hasn't led me well. My, my wife doesn't respect me. She, she won't submit like Ephesians 5 says, right? He did it first. I, I was just tired again. Now let me ask you, when was the last time that you just owned up to your sin? No excuse, no defense, no somehow soften it, just absolutely owned up to it. When was the last time, instead of saying, look what you made me do, you just laid your soul bare confessing, it's me, I'm the problem, I'm the sinner here, it's my fault, will you forgive me? If you just absolutely owned up to it. You see, confession to God and to those that we have sinned against is so good. You're doing yourselves no favor. You're robbing yourself, right? When, when we confess our sin, it is like balm for the guilty soul. King, King David wrote about his experience of confessing his sin to God in, in Psalm 30, 32, 3. Listen to what he says. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the summer, summer heat. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. A few verses later there in that same psalm, he, said, he, he refers to God as a hiding place for him. Not, not a hiding place from God like Adam and Eve, but, but God is the hiding place from all the wrath to come, right? You see, fig leaves could not cover their nakedness. Trees could not hide their sin. Blame could not wash away their guilt. The, the only one who could fix what they have broken is the Lord God who has graciously, graciously sought them out and, and, asked, and asked these four questions. Listen, if, if, if God's intention here was merely to execute judgment on them, he doesn't ask the questions. He has all the evidence he needs. He didn't need any of that, right? He already knows the answers to all of it. The, 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 the Lord God here has grace for them. We're, we're going to see that unfold over the next two weeks in the passages ahead. But, but, but already we are seeing the eternal truth of, of these words that our Lord Jesus doesn't speak for a couple thousand years later, right? Uh, right? Recorded in Luke 19.10 when, when Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Lord seeks his own out. And the call of God is a call to stop running away. It's a call to stop covering up your sin. It's a call to stop hiding behind trees or anything else. It's a call to stop blaming everyone and everything. To, to you know, stop denying your guilt. To stop trying to justify yourself. You can't do it. And so come out of hiding. Uncover your sin. No more secrecy and go to God. You're not hiding anyway. Right, again, with the curtain and the kid, right? And in the words of Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from God's sight. No, none at all, right? No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, since you can't hide your sin, and, and since you can't justify your sin, what, what you need is forgiveness, and that means what you need is Jesus. The only place you're going to find forgiveness, the only place you're going to find any genuine, real rest for your soul is in Christ. Now, in a practical sense, if this morning, if the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind some conviction, some sin that you're still hiding, still excusing, confess that sin to God who is gracious, who seeks you out. And I'll, I'll add this, right? The Lord has given you a covenant community, a church family. 
I really encourage you, please, confess this sin to another brother or sister in Christ, someone that you trust, right? Let them help you walk through whatever guilt you're still holding on to, maybe for past sin, or or let them come alongside you in the battle for whatever sin battle is is, is an ongoing habitual sin in your life. In other words, you, you don't have to be alone. Come out from the trees where you find grace, where you find encouragement, where you find hope. Come out of hiding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are not clothed in Christ, please reveal our nakedness. Make us to feel our need of Jesus. And if our faith is in Jesus, if if we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, then make us to believe that, to know that, to, to walk in a manner that is in accord with that absolute reality. In other words, take away our fear of you fear of death, our fear of judgment. Take away our, our shame, our guilt, and, and show us how to walk with you in faith. To believe the gospel, or to believe the gospel more fully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.